What's going on, y'all? I'm Christopher Rivas, and this is Brown Enough, stories between black and white. And we're doing something a little different today. All right, so when the holidays roll around, I feel like we get inundated with a few specific colors, right? A lot of reds, a lot of greens, silver, gold, white, and of course, you know, more green and red. It makes sense. It's uh, Santa Claus season, reindeer, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Lifetime, and Hallmark movies holiday season. But today, I want to give us all another color to ponder. And can you guess which one I'm talking about? That's right, brown. I have to say off the bat, my partner loves your book so much. Oh. And I'm specifically supposed to tell you that she loves the color wheel. Like, she loves it so much. The personal color wheel? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I'm talking to the very talented mixed media artist, Lisa Solomon. She's the author of several books, and her most recent one is titled The Color Meditation Deck. And it's because of her love for your book that we thought to reach out to you. It was, it was really her yeah. idea. She was like, you need to ask Lisa about about brown, about the color brown. Yo, my partner is obsessed with Lisa's book and work. And when I looked her up, I got obsessed too. Her art, no surprises here, is bright and colorful. She uses embroidery, crochet, and other handmade items along with paint and color. And her books are like fun little journals, personal color workbooks. Lisa is like a color poet. So I gave her a call to talk about brown. And today... In honor of helping us all diversify our own holiday color wheel, I'm bringing you a short and sweet episode of our beautiful conversation. Happy holidays, y'all. Okay, so what is what is color? In like one uh, sentence, what is color? Oh my god, I can't do it in one sentence. I mean, you know, scientifically it's light reflecting and light absorption, but color is a mood, it's a feeling, it's a symbol, it's so many things. How many colors are there? Oh, millions? I mean, we can see millions. You know, women usually see more color than men. I do know that. <laughs> uh, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, how have we reached the limit of our color? Do you think there's still colors you haven't seen or explored? Oh, I'm sure. Because the color is so nuanced. You know, just think of a color and you put white in it and it gets kind of pastel-y. And then you keep putting more white in it. And if you could see the difference of how it was in like the gradation, you know, with all the different whites and it just keeps getting whiter and whiter, but it still has that tint of the color. Like there's just so many steps in there. There's, there's a no metaphor. Way. There's a metaphor somewhere there for America. Yeah, there's a metaphor, <laughs> but I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, how did your obsession with color begin? I think it was just painting. I mean, I went to Berkeley, I started painting and I started you know, just placing colors out of the tube. And I remember one teacher said, oh, you should never use colors straight out of the tube because they're so predictable and they are what they are. You should always mix a little bit of something in it. And so I took that to heart and started doing that. And I 
they didn't have a color theory class at Berkeley. And so I just kind of went on my own color theory journey and started researching, you know, some of the original, you know, original guys, men, um, although there are a few women who studied color and wrote about it. And then it just was like this endless rabbit hole. So there's all these systems that you can learn about, but then I kind of feel like once you learn the systems, it's really about you and your interpretation of color and how many colors can you actually see? Like how many oranges can you make? And I feel like it's never ending. That is the beauty of color. There's always something new to discover. And Lisa also feels that way about herself, her personal story. It's what she explores through many of her own paintings and work. I'm half Japanese. My mom was born and raised in Japan. And my dad is Caucasian Jewish. So I have always had feet in multiple cultures and ideas. While I did grow up in LA and the friends that I had were incredibly diverse, there were not very many mixed kids when I was a kid. I think it's much more common now, but mixed race was still this very weird anomaly. And it has definitely influenced almost everything I've done for the last 10 years has something to do with me either researching the Japanese side of my culture or the work I'm working on right now is really just all about me and how people want to know where I'm from. Ever since I was a little kid, people have asked me, oh, where are you from? And depending on the person, I kind of know why they're asking me or what kind of box they're trying to put me in. So I'll kind of have these meandering conversations like, oh, you mean, where was I born? I was born in Tucson, Arizona. And then, oh, are you Native American? Like, no, no, I'm not Native American. And then it often led to this, but where are you from, from question. And I was like, what does that mean? Where are you from, from? You know, and it was sort of like this, I want to know what your heritage is. I want to be able to put you in this box and then not being able to be in a singular box. I'm going to ask you the obvious question. This show is called Brown Enough. What is the color brown? I mean, like the color brown evokes so many things. Like, first of all, to me, it evokes earth. Like when I think about the pigments that are brown, so many of them come from literally the earth. You know, like sienna comes from sienna in Italy. And then burnt sienna is taking that and burning it to make it darker. And so brown is literally, it's our survival. It's what we come from. Um, And then in terms of personal, it's definitely like the color of people's skins and like thinking about all the different tones and shades of brown and Even Crayola, they made a Colors of the World line of crayons that now are in a bunch of browns. And just kind of like thinking about how thankfully we have changed our notion of what people's skin tones are. So I think that definitely comes into play when I think about brown. How many shades or nuances of brown are there? Oh, I don't think you could put a number on it. 
you know, like there's the dark, 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 dark brown that looks like dark chocolate. And then you've got brown that has so much white in it. It's almost beige. And I think all of those are browns. And then you've got the pink browns and the yellow browns and the orange browns. (laughs) What are the colors that make up brown if I wanted to make it right? Because it's not a primary. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could do the primaries. They make brown, but oftentimes, so when you mix complements on the color wheel, so those are the things that are opposite one another. So red and green, blue and orange, yellow and purple, those are kind of your basic complements. And then you can go all around the wheel and anything that's directly across from one another. If you mix those together correctly, you get a neutral and that neutral is often on the brown side. Um, So you can use almost any complement set to mix brown. Have you used the color brown in your art? I have. It's definitely not a color. I tend to gravitate towards really bright colors and kind of having them clash. But brown is a really important neutral. And like if you are an artist trying to work in, you know, like a naturalistic way, like if you're trying to paint trees or earth or grass, Um, you definitely need to become very friendly with all the browns and how they work. I love the way you described brown. Can you (laughs) tell me what, what yellow makes you feel? Yellow was my favorite color when I was a kid. So it reminds me a lot about childhood. Um, It doesn't come up, I feel like, in nature as much. It's kind of like that surprise in like flowers. I feel like it's an atypical color. So I once was on this panel with a bunch of artists, and I kid you not, for about 10 minutes, we talked about how difficult it was to work with yellow. Like yellow is a very challenging color. And it kind of is because it's, it just like vibrates in a way that a lot of the other colors don't. And so it makes it hard to like, like it can overwhelm something really fast. Um, But I find that like mixing with yellow is like my secret weapon. A lot of times like using a really light yellow to mix or shift a color is like the fastest. And for me personally, most beautiful way to change a color. Can you describe orange? Orange is always warm, right? Like it feels like the sun. It feels like, I also feel like orange is an atypical favorite color. Like you don't run into people a lot who are like, ooh, orange is my favorite color. So when I do, I'm always like, oh, there's something about you. Like that's, that's different. Like orange is your jam. Yeah. I mean, I feel like even though a lot of people think that yellow is the sun, I feel like orange is more like the sun because of the warmth of it and like the sunset and sunrise thing, which I kind of feel like is the iconic sun. That's kind of how I think about orange. Can you describe white? White is so powerful. Like people, I think, are fooled by white. Like they think it's just a nothing, but it's really a something. And there are so many shades of white. Like if you've ever gone to the hardware store and looked at like, you're going to paint your walls white and there's like 50 shades of white. And you're like, really? There's so many ways to change it. To me also white in art is like negative space. Like, like the places that you choose to have you know, not things in them. I don't like to call it empty because it's not empty. Like it's important. Mm. Like that whiteness, that vastness 
is important. I mean, if we talk about, you know, skin tone, then I'm always like, why are white people called white? Cause they're not white. Like I'm always confused by that. What would you call them on the color wheel? Pinky beige. Pinky beige. <laughs> Pinky beige. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Who do I have to call in order to make the pinky beige transformation? Pinky beige. What do y'all think? How's that feel? Can we make that happen? Hashtag pinky beige. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Lisa's going to tell us the importance of representation in art. Stick around, y'all. We are back with color lover, Lisa Solomon. In this show, uh, when I talk about being brown, I'm talking primarily about my skin color. Mm -hmm. Has your work in color made you think differently about skin color like pinky beige, you know, or even blackness um, or your own identity in any way? For sure. I mean, so right now I told you I'm working on these portraits and they're all about where I'm from from. And the first series of them are in black and white because I actually find it really challenging to like paint flesh tones. I'm not really a portrait or figurative painter. So this whole thing is like totally throwing me out of my loop. But when I teach painting and there's in, you know, variably the student who wants to paint people, I do a whole segment on flesh tones. I make them make 25 different flesh tones. Um, I make them match skin tones. So like, it's like find a person whose skin tone is completely different from yours. Find And then find two other skin tones, you know, and then match those perfectly. So like pull them out of a magazine or print somebody's picture and then they literally have to match like they paint on the photo to see if it's matching the skin tones it's challenging because there are undertones to skin there are people who are olive undertoned and people who are pink undertoned and people who are yellow undertoned and people who are blue undertoned and like all of that changes and then lighting changes everything like you know if you're in a yellow light or you're under fluorescent lights there's so many like variables that change the way we perceive color And I think one of my own personal fears is like the whole idea of like not getting someone's skin tone correct. I know this firsthand. When my book was coming out, we had to figure out the right tone of brown to use for the font around the book. And then we had to figure out the right tone of brown to use to match my skin color, which is often fluctuating depending on the season, you know, how much sun I get, what color I'm wearing, et cetera. And we looked at hundreds of options. I couldn't believe how many browns there were. So you talked about that Colors of the World box that Crayola released uh, in 2020. Uh, 24 colors that represent about 40 skin tones. Obviously, uh, their purpose of doing this was to create a more inclusive sort of vision for children. Um, From your point of view, we all know this is important, but why is it important? I think it just goes back to the very basic representation matters. It's just a very simple, if you see something that looks like you, then you know that it's possible for you. (laughs) Like, 
I mean, I remember being a kid and, you know, being like, I can't, if I color myself in, none of these colors look like me. Like they don't really look like me. And, you know, I think, I just think it's important and lovely. And like, you can draw all your friends then, you know, cause it's like, oh, I have all these different colors of friends. And now I can actually, if you want to, you can also make them green and purple and orange, which I've fully support. But if you want their flesh tones to be more natural, then you have that option. And I just, it's like just one of those fundamental, it's so funny because you don't even think it's important until you realize, right? Like when you go out to go get a Band-Aid and it doesn't match your skin and like, you know, everyone else, the Band-Aid doesn't really show up. And then on your skin, it really shows up. Like you don't realize how important it is until it's you. And it makes you feel like, oh, I guess I'm not good enough or quote unquote, normal enough to have a Band-Aid that matches me. I love the Band-Aid reference, but I also just really love it's important to be able to draw your friends. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. In my work, I often talk about the color line. As long as there is a line that separates white and black, we will forever have issues in this country. And a lot of my work in Brown Enough is, where does Brown live in that color line? If the world is just white and black, um, Brown and Brown people. And a a theory that I have come to is that what we need is not two lines or three lines, but thousands. As many lines as shades and hues like you're talking about. more than we've even begun to discover. So how can people begin to see more lines, more colors, more shades? I really think it's about not thinking about things so homogeneously. So like as much as I feel part of an AAPI community, I'm also irritated that all Asian Americans are lumped together. Japanese people are very different from Chinese people, from Filipino people, from Hmong people, from Vietnamese. You know, there's, like you're saying, there's lots more slices. And then when you get into that, even people in Okinawa, Japan are different than people in Tokyo, right? So there's just, it's so hard because on the one hand, we need to think big picture and big cultures and understand the differences between them. But I think when you delve into more of a personal thing. Like, so you think about individuals within this like sea of humanity and realize that even people with the same skin tone or similar skin tone or similar cultural backgrounds can be very different and have different points of view and different human experiences and to be open to that and not like, I just think it's, boxing like we as humans like to box things like you're this person you're this person even when you think about artists right like people who don't make art have a certain view of artists I think like I've run into that so many times like oh it must be so fun to be an artist like not all the time you know (laughs) like so I think just trying to listen to being consciously consuming of different points of view and then finding the connections between those. Like we've all had our heart broken. We've all grieved in some way, shape or form. We've all hopefully experienced love. Like, so finding the stories in different people that 
align with your values and the way that you see the world and then realizing that there are connections to be made between all of us. You know that game we play as kids where you draw a bunch of dots and you, each player gets to draw one line and yeah. you have to like complete a box? Yeah. And when you complete a box, you put your name in it. That's the image I'm seeing here is like there's <laughs> a million lines, but also each each dot is connected to every other dot. Yeah. You know, so it's find your find your place and then also find your connection simultaneously. Um, do you think the world of art is diverse enough? No. Why not? I mean, do I think anything in the world is diverse enough? Amen. I think when you travel, Correct. it feels diverse <laughs> enough, right? Like when you step outside of here and other homogeneous places, then it feels more diverse. But I mean, look, like, I purposefully decided several years ago that I was going to try and stop showing only the canon of white art males to my students when I showed them slides of artwork. And it wasn't hard, but it certainly wasn't what I was taught. And I had, it was a conscious decision, right? Like it was like, oh, I really have to think about this. And who do I want to show? And they can get the canon in their art history classes or the canon is just presented to you no matter what, right? Like how many times have we seen advertisements for impressionist artists? And not that, you know, I have nothing against impressionism. And at the time it was punk rock. Like it was avant-garde and strange and weird. And they were breaking a million barriers that needed to be broken. And thanks to them, we have these weird color paintings that now exist, but I don't need to learn about them anymore. And I don't need to expose my students to them because they are automatically exposed to them. So I feel like my job, our job is to try and talk about the people who aren't as well represented. Amen to that, Lisa. Having Brown Enough allows me to put people on blast like you. People who deserve to be recognized for their talent and accomplishments. And I can't wait for y'all to hear more in the new year. If you want to check out Lisa's work, head out to her website, lisasolomon.com. I'll leave the link in the show notes. And I know it's a little late, but it's always a good time to be generous. And her book and mine would both make great gifts. A side note, the holidays are not happy for everyone. They can be anxiety-filled, overwhelming, overstimulating, guilt-ridden reminders that our families, if we have them, are not perfect. The end of the year might be a reminder of what we didn't accomplish. If you're struggling, please know that you are important, you are valued, you are not alone, and that the world is better because you are in it. You are loved. Thank you. This year was a pretty epic year, y'all. I booked my first series regular. I launched two incredible podcasts, if I may say so myself, and my first book came out. I need to give a shout out to faith, to commitment, to community, to story, to good people, to incredible support systems, to spaces of belonging, to my therapist, and to dreams coming true. And especially to you, to each and every one of you listening, I couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Happy New Year. Next time on Brown Enough, we're going to talk to the one and only Dr. Kira Hudson-Banks, an expert in something called racial identity development theory. Racial identity development theory is simply how people come to understand, make meaning about their race as a part of who they are. So it's the meaning-making process. 
We're about to learn something new, y'all. You don't want to miss this. Peace and love. Brown Enough is a production of Stitcher. It's created and hosted by me, Christopher Rivas, and I'm also an executive producer. Our team includes producer Manolo Morales, senior producer Abigail Keel, technical director Casey Holford, production assistant Gabrielle Gladney, and executive producer Camille Stanley. Original music by Casey Holford. Workhouse Media is a contributing producer to this podcast. Carlos E. Hernandez of Ikigai Management is also an executive producer of Brown Enough. And don't forget to subscribe, y'all, or follow Brown Enough so you never miss an episode. And if you got a minute, leave us a review. A nice one. It goes a long way. Thanks. Witness Docs from Stitcher.